Welcome to Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky, a podcast where I tell you about wonky animal facts. I'm your host, Olivia, and each week I will share with you a different weird fact from the animal kingdom. So, we like a good competition, right? There are all sorts of YouTube videos with spiders versus wasps, all other sorts of animal fights you could want, and we even have some movies, courtesy of the sci-fi channel, like Sharktopus versus Terracuda. What more could you want, right? But sometimes we can get some unexpected animal fights and predations in the real world. Usually with bats, they're going after flying insects, and spiders will usually go after things a little more their size, and then things that will just like fly into their web, like flies. So when I saw an article published just a couple months ago about a spider and bat predation incident happening last year, I knew we had to talk about it. But before we get into the interaction itself and what happened, let's talk about the two critters at play here. So in one corner, we have the noble false widow spider, Steatoda nobilis. So they get their name due to their resemblance to true black widow spiders, like the southern black widow spider here and the redback spider over in Australia. There's a western black widow spider too, all sorts of spiders. So there are a whole group of false widow spiders, mostly in the Steatoda genus, and they do all have a similar body shape, so similar body plan, um, your bulbous abdomen, kind of your beefy legs, and they also have the same sort of web structure as the black widow spider. And this makes sense because they are all in the same family, Therididae. This family of spiders are all known for their cobweb types of webs, giving them the name cobweb spiders. These webs are also very strong and can allow them to catch a wide assortment of prey. The noble false widow spider has been known to not only eat bugs and wood lice, or roly-polies, potato bugs, pill bugs, whatever you wish to call them, but they have also been documented eating the occasional small lizard. Also with their relation to the black widow spider, they do have a similar venom makeup, but worry not. The noble false widow is not widely considered to be a medically significant spider for people. As a whole, all spiders are venomous, but not all of them are dangerous to people. So instead of venomous or not venomous, we distinguish them as medically significant or not medically significant. Now with the noble false widow spider, you still probably don't really want to get bitten. The bite is apparently fairly painful. And as with any spider bite or animal bite, there is a risk of infection, but the bite is not going to kill you. You'll just be in pain for maybe a day. So what the noble false widow spider has in its venom are some neurotoxins called alpha-latrotoxin and delta-lactroinsectotoxin, as well as some proteases and chitinases, and these are going to help dissolve the proteins and that um, exoskeleton that bugs have, so the prey can be dissolved into a nice drinkable smoothie. The neurotoxins work by creating a pore in the neurons that allow ions and neurotransmitters to rush out of the cells. So this means that the nerves can no longer send signals since their neurotransmitters are no longer around. So in affected prey, it will lead to, or it can lead to paralysis. So this spider, fun fact, is actually considered one of the most invasive species of spider. It originated around the Canary Islands, and then it was introduced to England in the 1800s. 
um, potentially on some banana shipments, and has since spread um, spread in Europe. Now, it is one of the UK's most commonly seen spiders. In recent decades, it has been reported elsewhere, like Chile in 2016, Colombia and Ecuador in 2018, and then in some coastal areas in California as well, back in 2011. Since then, it may have spread farther into California, but beyond being introduced there, I could not find any other documentation of spread and introductions to other areas of the United States. Now, while it is generally not a big spider, so it's not like the um, Joro spider that you may be hearing about um, spreading in America now, um, but it can get to be around one centimeter in size, so still a decently sized spider. So if you need a nice size reference, that's about the size of an aspirin pill, about 320 milligrams, or about 1 40th the size of a bowling pin. It's a little small to be measuring this in terms of giraffes, sorry. And now in the other corner, we have the pipistrelle bats. The pipistrelle bats that we may be working with here are either the common pipistrelle or the soprano pipistrelle. Up until the 1990s, these two species of bats were thought to be the same species, and really they are nearly indistinguishable from each other. Both are small bats with a reddish-brown coat, and both are quite adorable. Definitely look at pictures. I do have a picture up on my Instagram for the podcast, so look there if you want a picture. But in the 1990s, it was discovered that the two bats have different echolocation frequencies, which is one of the distinguishing features of different species of bats, as avid players of the Nancy Drew computer games will know. These two pipistrelle bats are the smallest and most common bats in the UK and are considered microbats because they're so tiny. They only get to be about 8 grams, which, again for reference, is less than the weight of 10 paper clips, 2 sheets of copy paper, or a tablespoon of butter. There is a third pipistrelle bat in the UK, the Nethusius's pipistrelle, but it is a bigger bat than the other two, so we know it's not this guy. It's either the common or the soprano pipistrelle. The pipistrelle bats tend to roost in tree holes, bat boxes, or even the roof spaces of houses. So one thing that's fairly common between, or that forms a common thread between the pipistrelle bat and the noble false widow is that both of these species will thrive in human-modified environments, so like around houses and around developed areas. So the pipistrelle bat prefers to forage along woodland edges and will eat your typical favorite insect bat or insect-eating bat things, like mosquitoes and midges, which are similar to a mosquito, but they'll also eat flies, caddisflies, and lacewings, so plenty of flying insects. The pipistrelle bats hibernate over winter, and then they have their pups around June and July, which is about when our story takes place. So transport yourself over to Shropshire, England. A researcher had a colony of pipistrelle bats growing in their attic for a few years, and then last year in 2021, they were joined by a decently sized spider identified as a noble false widow that made its web outside of the chimney just below the roost entrance. So you may expect from here that one of the bats got to the spider, but what happened instead was that a bat was found in the web of the spider, and the noble false widow had evidently been feeding on the bat. 
So in this case, we have spider eating bat. Now, this wasn't a full-grown bat, but instead, unfortunately, it was a bat pup that must have fallen out of the colony and landed in the web. The spider had it fully wrapped up, and there was a visible bite mark and evidence of tissue decay at the site of the bite. Then, later that day, something had caused the baby bat to fall out of the nest, and then the next day, a larger bat had fallen into the nest. Now, this one was still alive and struggling in the nest when the person saw it, so it was rescued from the nest and then placed back where it could crawl into the bat roost again. Now, this is not the first time that spiders have been seeing preying on a larger vertebrate. There are about 27 families of spiders that have incidences of having vertebrate prey. Um, in many cases, though, it's going to be things like small lizards. In most of these cases, it does seem to be mostly due to advantageous web placement, so it makes it a happy accident for the spider that it happens to be a spot where so much food is moving back and forth, it's getting caught in the web, and what luck! It's thought that this may have been the case for this spider. Web-living spiders just really wait for prey to be caught in their webs, so they're not necessarily directly targeting a certain prey. Now, the shape of their web and how it's constructed can help to, or it can in a way, determine what, what um, organisms they catch in their webs, but it's not really like a conscious decision on the spider, like, whoo, I want to fly for dinner, I had a grasshopper yesterday. So what may have been happening here, juvenile bats are not skilled flyers and pups may not really be able to fly at all. So having a web under the entrance of the roost gives the spider the ability to catch whatever happens to fall out of the roost, even if that happens to be a baby bat. So this may not be the first time for a spider preying on a vertebrate, but this is a first time record for a few other things. Bats and mammals in general are not typical prey for most spiders. We can talk about the huntsman spiders in Australia sometime. So this observation did lead to a few firsts. This was the first reported case of a therid spider, so the cobweb spiders, preying on a bat globally. Also the first record of the cobweb spiders preying on a vertebrate in Britain. And finally, the first record of a steatota spider preying on a mammal globally. So for this spider, it paid off to be in the right place at the right time, and those first place trophies just keep on coming. And for the bats, once the babies are grown and everyone's flying skills are all up to par, I'm sure everyone else was a-okay. Thank you for listening to today's episode, and be sure to tune in to the next episode in a couple of weeks. Please rate and review on iTunes and Podbean if you're there, and you can also find me on Amazon Music and Audible. There are... oh, and Spotify. There are now a couple of options to help support this podcast. Please share us with somebody that you know that could use some more animal facts in their life, which is definitely everybody. And if you know anybody that's a spider lover or a bat lover, they may be interested in this tale. If you would like to financially support this podcast, you can also become a patron on Patreon. You can find the link to that in the description below. That will help me cover things like the cost of the hosting platform. You can also find the podcast on Instagram, so give it a follow at Quirky Creepy Freaky Pod. And if you have a favorite quirky, creepy, or freaky animal fact, send it on in at quirkycreepyfreakypod at gmail.com. Audio editing and recording was done by me, Olivia Streit, 
and the intro music was created by Kaylee Strait. Thank you for listening.